Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG on this weekend edition. Hopefully nice where you are. A little bit cold here. Lots of uh, headlines to look at today. Also, preview what's coming up on the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Kia David program, and at thetrumpet.com as well. And uh, look at a really interesting uh, topic when it comes to your money. How do you save it? Everybody wants to save, but yet it's hard to do. We'll have some good information about how you can save more money. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Thanks for joining us on this weekend edition. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today in what is a much colder day than uh, what it has been. Uh, it's like a, oh, I don't know, it's about a 30-degree difference between yesterday and today. So uh, we're definitely feeling the, the cold air. Last night that started, the cold northerly winds began to blow, I think. And uh, so we're definitely feeling like winter. Yeah, we definitely are. And this just reinforces how we are the roller coaster state when it comes to the weather. I think it, just more than anyone else, we, we get it all over the place. And that's why I don't even think about the weather. I don't even check it. I don't even adjust what I'm wearing according to what the weather is. I just wear the same thing all the time. Grant's wearing shorts today, so <laughs> and sandals. A <laughs> couple of headlines to look at today, including this one uh, in relation to uh, some of the sports ratings. This is from the New York Post. They say while the NFL gets socked with ratings declines, the NBA is off to its second most watched season ever. So one's going down, one sport's going up. ESPN, which has telecast 30 games since the October, season's October 17 opener, said Thursday that average viewership has soared 18% to 1.8 million a game from this point last year. TNT, they uh, had 16 NBA telecasts to date, said its average is up 25% to 2.1 million viewers. Even NBA TV with 41 telecasts is up 25%. So uh, they say central to the NBA's rise is its success in focusing the league's many dramas on the game itself, an area where the NFL has failed miserably, <laughs> experts say. They say NBA stars don't wear helmets, so fans think they know them better by watching their features and their gestures. I don't know if that makes any difference, but okay. They say the sense of familiarity plays well with the social media set. Meanwhile, the NFL is being penalized for lack of focus. Its storylines these days encompass a panoramic sweep of protest rights, brain damage risks, squabbling owners, media oversaturation, even subpar play. And so they think that because the NFL has all these dramas not related to the actual playing of the game, it's hurting people's, uh, uh, well, it's, it's lessening the viewership. But the NBA, they have all their dramas, who's going to be traded, who said what, who did what, but it kind of plays out on the court, and so more people are tuning in. Yeah, and and also the NBA has like the perfect villain team right now, so I think that also uh, helps. I mean, the NFL. I don't know if there's like any particular team that all the fans like to hate as much as the Warriors in basketball. 
you have to have a villain, which also adds to the drama. And again, that's on the court. Um, whatever they're doing off the court is not important, but what they're doing on the court really does make all the difference. I think the NBA has done a pretty good job of sort of steering clear of the protest stuff. Uh, players may be doing something. I've, I've noticed a few doing some things, but it's not a lot of attention drawn to it, and everyone kind of moves on. So I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, not, it's not to say that NFL viewership has gone away completely, but it is definitely down from what it has been in the past. So I don't know. Maybe they're just running out of steam. They were a juggernaut for a long time, and they're still making money. I mean, it's not like they're in the poorhouse. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, there's just a lot of controversy swirling around that, again, uh, take away from the game. You know, it used to be more about what was going to happen on the field and who's going to win, and now it's about, oh, did you see that hit? And that guy's got a concussion, and that guy broke his leg, and yeah. uh, the injuries and that type of thing are taking uh, center stage. Yeah, that's true, too. It is it is pretty gruesome and jolting to watch NFL the NFL sometimes just because of how many, t- how many times guys are getting carted off the field and such. Uh, the Chargers-Chiefs game last Saturday, I watched a tape of that, and like five or six Chargers players were getting taken off the field just in the fourth quarter. Just in the fourth quarter, that's how many guys. I mean, they just had injury breaks every minute or two in the whole fourth quarter. It's not fun if you're rooting for a team and half their the team gets injured, you know, and then they keep putting these other guys in there. So I don't know. I was I kind of wonder if it's just because partly because they're just bigger and stronger than they've ever been. And uh, that kind of impact, that kind of force creates more injuries. Not to say there haven't been injuries over the years, but it seems like in years past maybe it wasn't quite as extreme. Or maybe we just didn't know about it as much. I don't know. But there are former players, you know, that are now broadcasters that lived up into their later years, and they seem to be okay. Uh, maybe maybe they weren't, but they seemed okay. I just wonder if uh, it's because of the harder hits and the bigger, you know, guys, faster speed, stronger guys, and those impacts are greater. I mean, that might be part of it, too. There does seem to be a, a mindset of like injuring the player. We were talking about that before we came on here, where guys are trying to hit each other to knock each other out of the game instead of just uh, playing the advantage for your team, trying to force a fumble but not necessarily give the guy a concussion and make him carted off, be carted off on a stretcher. There's a pretty big difference between those two things. Vince McMahon, you're probably familiar. Everyone's, I think, somewhat familiar with him. He's uh, the WWE guy. He owns those rest, that wrestling company. And apparently he's selling a lot of his uh, his uh, shares there, I guess. Uh, and he, he's got his eye on football. He did. He tried to do the XFL thing years back, which didn't work very well. It's pretty entertaining, so, though. Yeah. <laughs> so he's thinking about getting back into it in some other way, and I just wonder. He must see that the ratings are down. And he's, there's got to still be a market for the game, but like, how do you – present it and maybe he thinks he can come knock him off or something who knows well especially if he presented it as like a more patriotic league because most of the people who seem to be tuning out now from the nfl are disgusted by the protests because i the like the main thing i could say about the difference between the nba and the nfl and the nfl is just the nfl hasn't said anything against the protest the nba adam silver the commissioner of all people actually said that he's not going to allow the players to kneel during the anthem. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, never took a stand against that. There have been plenty of political things said by the NBA or by players in the NBA, but it's not league-sanctioned. It's not, you know, the the Warriors team might have decided they didn't want to go to the White House after they won the championship. 
but that but then Adam Silver said he would prefer the players go to the White House. So he's he's not supporting what some of these individuals are doing. Whereas in the NFL, it seems like the commissioner is just fine with all these anti-American protests. Yeah. Well, if uh, Vince McMahon starts a football league, then everyone will, I guess, probably be able to legitimately say that the games are rigged. <laughs> Because, uh, of course, that wrestling is, as everyone knows, I believe. It's a potential audience of, like, half the country, though. I mean, most of the people alienated by the NFL right now would be conservatives because they don't agree with kneeling for the the flag and the anthem. Um, They don't think that you should be protesting on work time. And so you could really uh, exploit that weakness in the NFL if you're a rival. One thing that the NFL actually... uh the big secret that they let out of the bag uh, by having people not watch anymore is that you can do better things with your time. It's true. <laughs> you see a lot of comments where people are like, you know what? I don't really watch as much as I used to, and I found out that I enjoy doing, you know, you name the activity on a Sunday afternoon. I got a lot more done. Yeah. <laughs> so now people have maybe figured that out, like, you know what? It's actually more fun to do something else. Yeah, that's true. I, I haven't completely stopped watching the NFL, but there was one Sunday where I didn't even – flip on the tv to check in on any of the games at all i was like actually this is quite liberating the nfl better better get back to attracting some viewers or else we're all going to realize that actually we could do a lot better things we could actually go outside once in a while or uh you know go camping or whatever it is there are plenty of other things even just to watch on tv if the nfl doesn't want to treat its customers better maybe that's why the economy is kind of coming back People are working now, <laughs> doing something <laughs> yeah, productive with their right. time, not watching football. Uh, this is a write-up here from the Huffington Post. They say the Thomas Fire out there in California, close to becoming the biggest wildfire in California history. The Thomas Fire burning in Southern California is on the verge of becoming that largest blaze on state record. The relentless wildfire burning in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties has burned a total of 272,000 acres and remains 60% contained as of Wednesday, the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said. Uh, While the fire's growth has slowed since igniting on December 4th, it's on track to claim the title of the state's largest fire on record. That was from 2003, the Cedar Fire, which burned more than 280,000 acres in San Diego County. So this one's, uh, this Thomas one might get bigger. While good weather conditions in recent days have allowed firefighters to make progress in fighting the blaze, Wind gusts of up to 70 miles per hour are expected to pick up uh, over the next few days and could challenge firefighters working on this Thomas fire. On Cal's uh, fires list, California fire list, the, the top 20 largest blazes in the state, the Thomas fire is the only one to occur in December, with nearly every other blaze taking place during the hot summer months when hot, dry conditions make the state its most fire-prone. However, years of drought in California and global temperature rise, wink, wink, have turned (laughs) fires into a threat that knows no seasonal bounds. So anyway, that's kind of an interesting note, just that not only is it potentially the biggest fire, uh, but that it's uh, usually they happen in the summer. And this one, of course, is in December. And it looks like uh, from what I've read, too, they won't even have it satisfactorily contained until (laughs) January 8th or 9th. Like they're going to be chasing it around for like another half a month. And then hopefully the estimates say they might actually have it tracked down and and surrounded, basically. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. If we get 70 mile an hour winds, so difficult. Uh, And of course, it being dry Uh, related to that. This is kind of a neat, neat uh, technology advancement. 
They say a military Reaper drone is helping firefighters by providing them with real-time video from a five-mile altitude. So they're using these military drones to go up, and they can watch the video and see, okay, you know, now we've got an aerial view of what we're dealing with. So, you know, drones, uh, they're used for a lot of things, but, but they do have some neat uses like this. That is a really nice use of technology to be able to get the big picture of what you're battling, the blazes that you're fighting against. Um, and you could probably start issuing instructions to firefighters to start heading a different way if they see anything change on the ground. Yeah, so that's a bird's eye view that is uh, very helpful. Speaking of bird's eye views, you just uh, a little information here. In 2017, the number of skyscrapers, buildings measuring over 656 feet, uh, were more built this year than any year in history. 144 skyscrapers built this year. So... Um, but I don't know where they built them all. They didn't build any around here. We have, I haven't seen any lately. <laughs> we don't. We don't even have one, do we? I mean, I don't think the Devon Tower qualifies in Oklahoma City. It's our skyscraper. That one's not tall enough for <laughs> for that qualification, at least. Yeah, that's a lot. 144. So some places are really building. I bet a lot of them are in China. Other places because mm. they're always building up uh, over there. It seems like you may have uh, noticed, uh, no matter where you're living in the U.S., that uh, the flu season is upon us. You may have been inflicted or uh, somebody you know inflicted on some level. Uh, this is a write-up from Time Magazine. It says, the surprising uh, rise of this year's flu. This season, the potentially deadly virus is in rare form. Public health experts are predicting that this year's flu will be severe for several reasons. Cases are starting up early which is one indicator of an aggressive virus. Another worry is that Australia's flu season uh, typically shows what the U.S. flu season will be like. And so far this year, Australia recorded two and a half times as many cases compared to the same period last year. So if that's an indication, which often it is, more cases. Uh, they say, what's more, experts report that the flu vaccine designed to inoculate hundreds of millions of people may not be as effective as they hoped it would be. So some people will go and they get their flu shots. They always try to get you to, you know, you go into the store and they say, get your flu shots here. and But apparently those aren't as effective as they were hoping. Yeah, and, and it's kind of confusing why they would offer that because a flu isn't such a particularly <clears throat> devastating thing that you should have to get a shot to avoid it. One thing that would help would, would be the uh, biblical principle of quarantine if we... Uh, whenever we got sick, just made sure we didn't have contact with other people and, and stayed home instead of going to work or going to school or wherever else, you wouldn't be spreading these types of diseases. Even historically, some of the most destructive plagues ever were simply spread by people not isolating themselves when sick. Yeah, that's true. And of course, the flu spreads that way. We had a little bout of that in the, the family. I didn't get it too bad because I have an adult immune system, <laughs> but uh, my kids, my kids, they get it, uh, and uh, it kind of it was it was a rough one. Wiped them out a little bit. Um, uh, the flu being, I guess, in this case, was sort of the uh, the congestion, the cough, runny nose, sort of just the fever. I guess it can affect people in different ways. But uh, anyway. Be prepared. There could be more of a severe flu season this year. Uh, here's some data that's interesting. They say, is life better now than it was 50 years ago? They asked some people in different countries. Some countries say yay. Some countries say nay. In Vietnam, 88% of the people said life is better. No surprise because mm. the Vietnam War. 68% uh, of people in South Korea said life is better today than 50 years ago. Half of Russians said uh, it is better. The other half were killed. 
No, that last part. Oh. I t- <laughs> Sorry, that last part wasn't true. Probably it's a certain percentage of them were <laughs> imprisoned. Imprisoned. Twenty-seven uh, or sorry, thirty-seven percent in the U.S. think it's better, but most don't think it's better. Only twenty-three percent of people in Italy think that it's better, and only ten percent of Venezuelans think it's better. Those are all in the government, I think. <laughs> yeah. Venezuela. So. Uh, a lot of different nations uh, that I guess are more of the Gentile nations think it's better. The Israelite nations, not so much. Yeah, and, and a lot of those nations where things might have improved, they're obviously not dealing with huge wars on their on their home soil anymore. Or if they think life has gotten worse, it points back to the leadership. Like in uh, Venezuela, I think I saw that uh, Nicolas Maduro is actually offering a $5 bonus to loyal police officers. Wow. Probably about all the money that can be scraped together in that failing socialist nation right now. Enough to pay it all back to then pay for other things. <laughs> yeah. Here's uh, some other numbers that are sort of interesting. <laughs> is the world better today or not? Well, probably not. Uh, when it comes to the nuclear prolif- proliferation, Uh, The approximate number of nuclear warheads in the world today, with more than three quarters being possessed by the U.S. and Russia, is 15,000. Those are the ones they know about, I guess. Annual budget of the U.N. Office for Disarmament Affairs, which is less than the amount spent on nuclear weapons every hour, it's $10 million. That's their annual budget. They spend more than that for every hour on developing them. That's amazing. It's a lot of money. That really does expose how the U.N. can't, exactly accomplish much more than uh, maybe a fiery speech here and there because that type of money is not going to get them anywhere. That's not going to convince a single nation in the entire world to disarm, and yet there's still $10 million allocated to that purpose. Uh, Here's a number that should be alarming, but I think understandable. If uh, U.S. and Russia went into a full-scale nuclear war, in the first half hour, 100 million people would be dead. Wow. Something to think about. So Probably a good reason to uh, try to avoid a war if possible. It maybe, maybe don't capitulate to the enemy, but at least make sure that you're on decent terms. Unbelievable to think about that. Those type of numbers, we couldn't even fathom it. But when you've got, you've got that many warheads out there. And then even if you just look at the headlines, I mean, North Korea is talking about uh, putting anthrax into a warhead. I think it was, no, maybe it wasn't that specifically. It was a biological weapon. I'm not Oof. sure which one it was, but um, and then they want to test some of those. So you know, it's just uh, it's something people don't like to think about for obvious reasons. But the numbers, I mean, are startling. And that would just be the first half hour. I mean, oh. how when when Christ says, you know, uh, in Matthew 24, that if he didn't return, there'd be no flesh saved alive. I think you can easily see how that would be very possible. Exactly. As soon as the nuclear weapons start start being used. I mean, it's just a matter of days probably that you could wipe out all life. If you just ended up shooting those missiles all over the world instead of just at one other nation, it'd be pretty easy to exterminate all life. And that's not even counting the fallout of a nuclear weapon that is going to go for many more miles than than just the the blast area. Yeah. And it wouldn't be just the US and Russia, obviously it'd be a lot of people involved. But of course there's a lot of write-ups at thetrumpet.com that go through the Bible prophecies and show you actually how events are going to happen, so you can you get some comfort in that. Uh, here's a good health note from Medical Express. Weekly fish consumption linked to better sleep, higher IQ study finds. You like fish? Are you a fish guy? I don't eat it all the time, but probably probably like once a week, yeah. Well, that's all you need. They <laughs> say ch- <laughs> children who eat fish at least once a week, probably adults too, but this is about children. 
uh, who eat fish at least once a week sleep better and have IQ scores that are four points higher on average than those who consume fish less frequently or not at all, according to new findings from the University of Pennsylvania. Previous studies showed a relationship between omega-3s, the fatty acids in many types of fish, and improved intelligence, as well as omega-3s and better sleep. But they've never all been connected before. I wonder if it's just a matter of if you sleep better, you just think better. Mm. Like if that's really what's happening there, that's part of it. Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense. So uh, anything that contributes to sleep is going to help a lot. And, and there are lots of parts of the fish that you could use. That's, that's actually one of the most... Uh, beneficial animals to consume you ever take uh, cod liver oil yeah that's what i was thinking of (laughs) (laughs) see that's another way that you can (laughs) uh improve your your health through a fish uh kids don't love that that's not usually a delicious beverage for them but a little spoonful at night that'll help you out isn't that uh i guess mr armstrong was thinking of like some elderberry or something like he he tried that in the hospital and has never had it since. That's that's what he said in his autobiography, just because of how horrible the taste is that you never forget how bad yeah. it was. I find that as I get older, I don't know, some of that stuff doesn't, like cod liver oil doesn't bother me as much. Now, I mean, I wouldn't sit down and enjoy it, but uh, I think as an adult, you just kind of do it and move on. Mm-hmm. Where as a child, there's like the anticipation. No, you know, and so <laughs> if you just take it and swallow it it's not so bad but anyway or you can eat a delicious fish have yes. have a nice clean fish cooked up and you gotta watch make sure it's clean of course because there's a lot of fish out there that shouldn't be eaten but uh, <laughs> that people do eat and consume so if you're a sushi fan you always have to watch you know because uh, like for example you know sometimes you go and you look and if you're buying it like it's already pre-made uh, in like a deli or something and you look and says salmon you're like oh, okay and they look at the ingredients and they're like and shrimp like in really small letters <laughs> like why is there shrimp in the salmon why don't you call it salmon and shrimp why do you call it salmon? right that's that's so deceptive that i see that a lot on packaging where it's like a chicken sausage but they have the the pork and the beef in there as well yeah and you do need to just be upfront about those types of things it's also funny that uh, consuming fish would make you smarter when those are pretty much the dumbest things you come across. Like they fall for the hook and the line all the time. It's, it's so easy to catch a fish while fishing because they just, I guess they only see the bait and not the gigantic hook sticking out of it. And they don't learn. They never learn. Catch they it, throw right it back, back in, catch yep. it again. Yep. They, have a, they have a gigantic hole in their lip <laughs> from the last time they had just done it. And yet they're going back for more. None of their buddies say, hey, wait a second. He got pulled out of the water last time. I'm going to not do this. He disappeared. We never saw him again, and yet we're going to go right back to that spot. There's a local story on the news here uh, the other night. Somebody caught a fish here locally. I don't. I forget what kind it was, but it was a record-breaking fish. It was huge. And uh, and then they threw it back in, and I told my wife, I'm like, well, just wait two days. Catch it again, and it'll be even bigger because I'll probably <laughs> eat something, and then you can have the record. <laughs> This is record-sized fishes swimming around. They keep catching and releasing them. Yeah, you, they just—I guess they're not too traumatized by it. Maybe, maybe that's why fishing isn't a controversial issue in today's society because uh, fish aren't hurt by it at all. I guess, yeah, they don't think about it apparently. Because if you get ripped out of the water, held by these beings, got pictures <laughs> taken, then chucked back in, you think you'd be thinking about that later. Like, what was that all about? <laughs> apparently, they just go back to whatever they're doing, swimming around down there. I guess we could probably learn from their resilience. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> their hardy spirit. <laughs> Let bygones be bygones. Yeah, what was that all about, they wonder. Yeah, I remember up in Wisconsin, it was always a big controversy, the uh, spearfishing. Because oh, yeah. Indian tribes spearfished and... Uh, 
that took a lot of the fish out of the rivers and lakes and so there was always this protest well how come they could take all the fish and we can't get the fish it was always a back and forth thing but i've heard it's like that in oregon too where in, in a lot of places the the native americans are given the first chance uh to catch the fish which then obviously is going to hurt uh american companies that are trying to to fish and then redistribute them on a large scale yeah so you don't hear too much about that down here because it's not an issue but up uh, there it was here's a really interesting uh write-up this is the discovery uh that was the breakthrough of 2017 scientifically they think discovery of neutron star collision that's the breakthrough of 2017 the world's first ever detection of two faraway neutron stars colliding causing a massive blast that rippled through the fabric of space and time was judged the scientific breakthrough of 2017 the smash-up of the two ultra-dense stars observed <laughs> makes me think of Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> observed on August 17th, confirmed several key uh, astrophysical models reveal the birthplace of many heavy elements and tested the general theory of relativity as never before. The blast, which occurred 130 million light years away, is a kind of event. Now, get this kind of event that produces as much as half of the universe as gold, platinum, uranium, and mercury. That's fascinating. Made me think of uh, Haggai 2 and verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Eternal of Hosts. We can't do that. We Humans can't make that happen. Those events, though, they do occur, and there's gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's all it's all over the universe, apparently, which why wouldn't it be if, if God thinks that those are precious metals and he, and he made them to have a certain type of beauty? Uh, they wouldn't just be found on Earth. Yeah, it's so... It is amazing to see some of these massive things happen in space. A lot, I mean, a lot of it's above my uh, level of understanding of how they, you know, understood all this. But they say that shockwaves ran through the scientific community when the discovery was announced in October after being detected by gravitational wave sensors in the U.S. and Europe and some 70 telescopes and observatories around the world. So they knew what they were looking for. Uh, one of the scientists, who has a really long name, uh, said that uh, the moment was the most exciting of my scientific life. So uh, it's uh, uh, interesting how they discover these things. You know, it's not you see the the cool artist rendering of it, but it's not like they were watching that on TV. They just saw some some waves come through and they understood it based upon their instruments what happened. So it's pretty fascinating. It's also pretty fascinating that they seem to know it was coming. I mean, that's. Science is one of those fields that's ruled by definite laws, and so you always, you can always know what to expect. And uh, I, it, it's kind of, it would kind of be nice if maybe society were the same way now, where we all had definite laws to abide by. Sci- science is a more simpler thing. It's like a retreat from society these days, 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 days. Science and when they not junk science, right? Focusing on things that are actually happening. So pretty, pretty uh, fascinating there. I, I, you know, I had no idea that. Uh, collision like that would create all these precious metals no. which is fascinating you know they also discovered recently that uh king tut his uh daggers a lot of them were made with uh metals that came from meteorites i guess they have a way to go in there you can read the article that explains wow. it more but they uh there's a different uh percentages of metals based upon metal that came from space and hit the earth in a meteorite versus what they'd find here on the earth if they smelted it so a lot of the stuff from that time period came from meteorites. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, because you would you would probably think that it would just vaporize if these two huge objects collided like that, especially if they're blazing hot, fiery stars or whatever. Uh, but I guess these actually produce things when they run into each other. Yeah, and 
you know, God obviously is the one that creates those things and allows those things to happen. And so, you know, uh, we look at gold as wealth, obviously. You need some more? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> there you go. It's easy to, and we, of course, uh, in the oceans, there's a lot of wealth that's talked about in, I think, uh, the Wonderful World Tomorrow booklet about how there's there's so much uh, gold that's in the, the oceans that we can't access right now. We don't have the technology. So people are always talking about money and economies and, and producing wealth. There's a lot of wealth out there, and that's where it comes from. And, uh, you know, did it evolve? No, God <laughs> created it. So, uh, did, again, it made me think of that passage in Haggai 2, verse 8 there, where God's like, yeah, that's all mine, that silver and that gold there, because he made it. He's putting it in places where we can't take it away either. <laughs> yeah, in most in most cases. Uh, so that's really an interesting scientific discovery, I thought. Uh, coming up uh, today on thetrumpet.com, uh, one of the top stories is, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. This is more of a write-up on it. What do Muslims and German right-wing extremists have in common? Their hatred for Jews. And uh, that's uh, by Josue Michel, so make sure you read that. Uh, the, the Jews caught in the middle, uh, always in the middle of the, the hatred there. And uh, it is funny that, that uh, two groups that are very much against each other, being Muslims and uh, these uh, very extreme Germans, they do have one thing in common, <laughs> and that is that they hate the Jewish people. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because even just looking at the the history between those two groups of people, um, it didn't always used to be that they hated each other so much. Adolf Hitler, actually, he consulted with Islamic leaders quite a lot in trying to figure out what to do with the Jews. And so he actually admired the way that they despised the Jews and tried to emulate that. Uh, I guess now when it comes to the Muslims taking away German land and, and sort of impacting Germans more directly, they might, they might end up being more enemies now than they used to be. Yeah. Really, uh, a, an interesting thing over there. I think 120,000 Jews roughly in Germany from what we were reading about yesterday. So, yeah. uh, interesting there. See what, uh, what comes of all of that. Uh, make sure you listen for the trumpet daily radio show today with your host, Stephen Flurry. talks about a couple of things, including what about Christmas though? <laughs> What about that Christmas? Uh, he has some good information about that. He had a uh, an email that he read, too. Somebody wrote into the show and said, I really, really enjoy the Trumpet Daily Radio show and have a Merry Christmas. So not totally familiar with all the, the uh, teachings there, but a uh, great program to listen to, especially for this time of the year. Especially because a lot of people have been, um, especially conservative commentators, have been talking about the sanctity of Christmas and how it still needs to be held up as... Uh, a great national holiday, even though people on the left are, st- are starting to attack it more. And this is one area where conservatives are just way off because they're talking about how it's a religious observance. And apparently none of them have ever even looked into how Christian uh, Christmas originated and, and what it is actually worshiping. Yeah. Really, a really important topic to look at. Of course, many people get very excited about uh, the different things this time of year. And uh, it's not easy to stop and take an honest look at what the, the day and holiday is all about but uh anyway it's uh definitely worth looking into and related to that the key of david program it's it is a program from a few years ago but really good to have a uh, see again by uh trumpet editor-in-chief gerald flurry hidden danger in keeping christmas question family time together and life and the life of jesus christ are both wonderful things but does god want us to celebrate these things by keeping christmas that is the question so make sure you look at that yeah, it's interesting. There has been kind of a controversy over the last few years, I guess, in the in the U.S. about that, like what you would say to people. 
right whether you're supposed yeah. to say you know one thing or another and so or uh, didn't uh o'reilly have some write-up of a book like the war on christmas or something like that yeah i think so um and that and i could see why there would be a backlash against that because the push against christmas is coming from the realm of political correctness and of course a lot of conservatives would would try to strike back against that but here's a case where they just really haven't proven what they're talking about and why they believe what they do maybe a lot of them just see it as a, a fun time but it, even christmas is in a way a counterfeit of some of god's actual holy days um maybe maybe people see christmas as a time where family get together and there's a, a day where they all share presents but even one of the holy day festivals and, and god's plan that takes place every year it's the feast of tabernacles it lasts for an entire week you actually are saving up for it the entire year so there's no debt involved uh you're able to live far more uh a, a far more quality uh life than you do the rest of the year just because you're spending a tenth of your income on it i mean that's that's way better than christmas there's no debt involved it actually lasts longer uh but people are distracted by christmas which has its roots in paganism Right, and then of course, when you look at God's holy days, they they point to something, they picture something, which in the case of the Feast of Tabernacles would be the millennium after Christ returns. So there's always a purpose to it, there's a plan to it, as opposed to a lot of the different days you'll see in in, in a variety of religions where uh, it it doesn't point to anything. It's just a tradition, right? It begin it becomes that, and so and people aren't even really sure probably why they they do what they do, you know, but. Uh, uh, I saw an article the other day. I didn't read it, but uh, it said it said peace on earth question mark, and then it said not in the suburbs where they're having like the light wars. The neighbors are battling each other. <laughs> and I guess it got pretty heated about who's got the bigger displays and so forth. So uh, that's not a good not a good fruit there. Yeah, and that that's a a huge time and money waster to deck out your house in that way. And then of course you have to take it down and then probably the next year come up with some bigger display, especially if you're competing with your neighbors. I mean, a lot of that, a lot of Christmas just engenders strife because, you know, a big part of it is as well as just a matter of, well, this, this person only got me this old ugly sweater that I, that I don't like. And, you know, people are just not thankful for the gifts. They only think about the gifts instead of what the day is supposedly about, which is Christ's birthday even though many of them openly admit they have no idea when Christ was actually born or if they should be celebrating a birthday anyway. Yeah, traditions. That's a lot of things in life uh, where you kind of just, uh, Mr. Armstrong wrote a lot about that. You know, you just kind of accept whatever you're told. I mean, why do people in the Middle East, why are they mostly Muslim? Because they were born there and that's what people taught them. Same, same reason that people in the West would be more of the Christian flavor. Or, uh, you know, uh, Hindu somewhere else. It's just it's where people were born. Most people don't make a decision about it or look into it and say, um, huh, I'm going to try to find the truth of it. It's just, well, this is where I was born and this is what I do. And so inevitably you end up with this clash of cultures. I mean, you really do. And even if you look at, say, the king of the north and the king of the south, which is talked about in Daniel, and there's a lot of history between those powers, Middle East power, European power. It's always a religious clash, just different ideas. But mm -hmm. many people don't stop to even consider if what they're doing is right or not. Wouldn't that solve a lot if people actually considered why they keep certain days or why they have a certain set of beliefs? Uh, you could avoid the Crusades, uh, for example, or you could avoid uh, supporting terrorist attacks. I mean, the, the different religions are on the attack all the time, and yet that's 
totally contrary to what a Christian or a truly religious person should be doing. They shouldn't be involved in any sort of violence whatsoever. Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, a lot of people realize, and this is brought out again in this The the Wonderful World Tomorrow booklet, that uh, if, if you really want to have peace on earth, I mean, you really do need one all-ruling government, and you really do need one religion. But the problem is everybody thinks it should be theirs, you know, whether it's Catholicism or Islam or, or whatever. And, and then if you look at some of some of the different religions, you know, you wouldn't want to be under that system because it's not a good system, I guess, right. unless you're on the very top. And so while it's a truth that we need one government and we need one religion, it has to come from God, though. God has to be ruling and it has to be God's religion. Which one is it? Which which one is God's religion? You know, for all the for all the talk of, say, multiculturalism or whatever, well, which one, which God is it? God's not the author of confusion, the Bible says very clearly. Uh, is there confusion between religions today? Absolutely. Well, which one's the true one? You know how many people stop to think about that? And another question a lot of people need to be asking is why die for false beliefs? Because uh, we've we've seen it, and this is a this is something that atheists use to criticize all religion in general. They say that religion has killed more people than anything in history, and that's true because people don't take the time to consider their belief system. There is a right set of beliefs. There is a wrong set. And anyone with an open mind could discover that uh, God needs to be in charge. And until that happens, uh, religion is going to be the number one killer. Yeah, it is, uh, sadly. Uh, So make sure you check out the Trump Daily Radio Show and this Key of David program, both relating to uh, Christmas. So it's important to look at those. We've been looking at this uh, great booklet, Solve Your Money Troubles, at the uh, trumpet.com. It's uh, free, which is that helps you solve part of your money troubles because <laughs> you don't have to pay for it. Uh, you can read it there online. Or you can have it sent to you, and it it's, uh, goes through some really good practical, sound biblical advice about how to uh, prosper financially, which everybody wants to do. And uh, today we want to talk about how to save your money. Uh, every successful business operates on a budget. Whether you are with or without debt in a low-income bracket or a high one, if you would rather live on Boardwalk than the poorhouse on Baltic Avenue, a little Monopoly reference there in case you're <laughs> confused, you need to establish a budget. And that's uh, very true. It's not a dirty word, <laughs> budget. Uh, it, it's interesting, too. You can People can be very high earners but still have horrible money problems because they're not on a budget. You know, spend spend a little more than you make, and it's easy to move to the nicer neighborhood, get the newer car, you have a really good income, but you're still not saving any money. Well, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? When we get a little bit more money, then all of a sudden we think we need more things. And so no matter how much money we get, if our uh, group of needs is constantly expanding – then we're always going to feel like we don't have enough money. There's kind of this there's movement that's gained some traction lately, uh, the minimalist movement, where people are pushing back sort of on this um, consumerism and, and saying, well, I don't need all this stuff. Now, sometimes maybe it goes a little far, you know, I only need one spoon, you know, maybe a few, you know, but, uh, but, but they are pushing back against, and it's kind of interesting that they have some good points. I think it gets off track a little bit, but they are, they are seeing that, that, uh, I think the truth that, yeah, you don't need as much sometimes as you might think you need. And so there's some interesting write-ups from people that have really changed their lives in a lot of ways by just, um, uh, actually getting into a budget 
and paring down what they what they thought they needed. You know, they didn't need to be spending all that they were on items that they never used, they never took out of the box, or you know, a, a house that they lived in and they didn't use three of the rooms. So there is kind of a movement that direction. Again, it gets a little off base because they're not looking at the Bible in most cases. But uh, getting on a budget is very, very important to begin to then save some of that money. Yeah, and there's also another movement where people have tried to uh, feed themselves for an entire month by only spending a dollar each day of that month. McDonald's dollar menu. Yeah, I mean, that would have to uh, somehow last you the whole day, though. <laughs> these people these people are just, they're like, result, they're resorting to urban foraging and uh, getting free samples of the grocery store and everything like that. Now, that is a bit extreme, obviously, but it is a kind of fun challenge to go through something like that because then you realize uh, how much money maybe is being wasted in your in your budget or your lack thereof yeah it is uh it's funny how humans tend to go in extremes you know it's gonna it's gonna be spend it all or don't spend a dime type of thing and I was kidding about the dollar menu because uh, that would have some health problems down and the road. And it's not even really a dollar <laughs> yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, stop lying to us. It's like a dollar thirty or something. That's like all those stores that have dollar in the title, but everything in there is more than a dollar usually. That's true. I'm like, well, yeah, it's a dollar and then another dollar and then another dollar. <laughs> At least a dollar. Why don't they just call it? it like the penny store? <laughs> Technically, you're gonna. I mean, it is a penny, but you just have to have a lot of pennies to buy the stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think uh, there are there are certain challenges like that. Even I've I've gone to, I guess you could say extreme, where I try to see how many days in a row I can go without without spending money uh, outside of bills. I don't think that's really too extreme, but it is a fun challenge because usually I'm just avoiding eating out. Uh, mm-hmm. too often or something like that and then i do uh i am usually pretty shocked at how much money i save yeah i, I read something years ago i thought it was kind of a, a good point sort of a corrective point for people living in the the west and the u.s in particular and they said you can't live every day like you're on vacation <laughs> you know you you can't in most cases you know you can't when you want vacation you, you go do those things you know you go out to eat more you do these different things but that's become sort of a lifestyle for many many people where you kind of feel like you need that you need to do all these different things. And it's like, hey, hey, you're not on vacation every single day. So I thought that was pretty correct, even for, you know, uh, probably anybody, because it's easy enough to just, to one extent or another, kind of uh, think that the luxuries are the necessities and they're not. Yeah, a vacation is supposed to be something that is out of the norm. And if we're able to come to a point where we're content with our everyday lives and not necessarily needing to uh, go hit the town every night after work is over, uh, you don't usually have to spend too much money. Uh, you don't have to have a gigantic entertainment budget to be content with your family and friends and doing things in a lot of cases that are entertaining. And yet sometimes they're even free. I mean, playing board games with, with your family, it doesn't cost any money. For example, there's a basic rule for sensible budgeting. Of course you can get into a lot of different budgets and some are really uh, elaborate and some are more basic, but uh, the basic rule is never plan to spend more than you can afford. You shouldn't spend more than you make because obviously that will end up, uh, contrary to what the United States does as a whole, the <laughs> government, uh, you can't spend more than you make. Eventually you will run out of uh, credit and uh, it's going to make life very difficult. And it, it gives uh, the basic essentials here for budgeting. You, you have to take care of your housing your food and your clothing. And of course there's tithing obligations as well. If you, if you know about that, but uh, the basic principles and these, I think are pretty, pretty sound. Most, most people would agree with it. uh, Even in the financial world, no more than 25% of your net income 
should be spent on housing. About 10 to 20% on food and related items, uh, depending on what size family you have and so forth. 4.8% or 4 to 8% rather on clothing and uh, transportation insurances and lessons for kids, things like that. You've got to factor those in as well. So those are kind of the main expenses that happen that have to be covered before you can begin to think about putting some away. Yeah, this was a really, really practical chapter of the booklet. And uh, I was even going back and looking at some areas of my budget where I haven't necessarily been specific enough and making sure that all the percentages were right. So this booklet is something that you could apply immediately. I mean, it, it does give you really practical, specific steps. And it also even tells you the, the list of priorities. Like if you have debts that you're paying off, he even says, focus on getting a $1,000 emergency fund then go back to paying off your debts. Then once you're out of debt, you want to you want to spend about 5% of each uh, paycheck or I guess save 5% of each paycheck until you've got six months of savings in the bank in case you lose your job or something catastrophic happens. Yeah, and it can seem overwhelming to kind of think about where you want to end up and then look at where you are now and think, how am I going to get there? But the point is to just try to get the process going. And it's it's amazing actually how much quicker it can go. And when people get on budgets, very often you read about examples where they didn't realize how much they were spending on just random things. And all of a sudden you say, wow, I spent that much money on whatever the hobby or the, the interest might be. And uh, so, so there is, in a lot of cases, a little more money than people are uh, realizing. And uh, when you said you were, you were spending a little more than you thought, I was thinking you probably spent about 85% in your wardrobe. Probably. All right. <laughs> I've got I've got just an extensive array here that I always wear to the radio studio always. where no one can see me. Arm, Armani suits every day. <laughs> uh, so, of course, the, the, those numbers as far as percentages might vary a little bit depending on individuals, but uh, the housing one is a big one. That's where you don't want to get an over your head in a house. And then, of course, you know, a lot of times people have car loans as well, and so that's where um, things can really get out of control pretty quick. If you get the big ticket items in line, usually you can bring the smaller uh, budget budgetary items in line as well, but the, you know you hate to be in a situation where you owe fifty percent of your income on a house, and some people are in that. That's what I was thinking too. I, I I was just wondering how many people probably even might spend more than half of all their money on a house, and it's probably a shocking amount just considering how unaffordable housing is in so many big cities and in so many large swaths of this country. Uh, it's almost unavoidable to get a decent home without without spending way too much of your budget. Yeah, in some places, for sure. So uh, anyway, that's good to try to keep that in line if possible. Uh, then two types of savings that are mentioned once you begin to get going. And again, it's you know even if it's small, it's just getting into the habit of doing it. You know, even even if you if you let's say you you had a hundred dollars for a month and uh, you spent ninety nine, well, at least you saved a buck and you didn't go into debt. That's a small thing, right. but at least it's going the right direction. Uh, uh, two types of savings that are mentioned here: uh, operational savings. That's for expenses that you know are coming down the road. Probably going to have a car repair. Probably going to go to the dentist at some point in your life, unless you're superhuman. Uh, <laughs> things like that, and then of course there's emergency savings for those unexpected things that. Uh, that you didn't know were coming, and it's a lot easier. I know that uh, uh, Dave Ramsey, of course, he's uh, written a lot of money books that are pretty good, and uh, he makes a good point, too, that where uh, you find that once you have an emergency fund, you have less emergencies. True. Because it's not as big of a drama when you've got the money to cover it. 
Uh, and, and a lot, I mean, that's, that's the drama of a lot of emergencies is that where's the money going to come from? And if you've got it saved up, it becomes maybe a minor inconvenience as opposed to this life altering, uh, situation. Yeah. No, no more stress or emotional toll or relationship damage from, you know, getting a flat tire and having to get that fixed and, and not being able to find the money for it, for example. And obviously there are things that are a lot bigger than that too. Uh, but if we know we have the money for it, the same exact event could be either catastrophic or it could just be another thing that you can absorb because you had the emergency savings for it. Yeah, so it's a good position to be in. The studies have shown, too, and this is an important point, that uh, if you get into the habit of paying cash, you're probably going to spend less money. Studies have shown that people who pay cash for everything, you know, as much as possible, you're not going to go with a suitcase full of money for your mortgage probably <laughs> but uh, but for everything as much as you can as opposed to credit cards those people actually spend 12 to 18 percent less uh, per year on average there is psychological pain associated with paying cash and that's true i've done it um and when you open up your wallet and you look and you see the money and you say yeah if i buy that though then the money's gone or part of it it's harder to do as opposed to just throwing the credit card out there. And I think what's great about getting into a budget is it does give you, if it gives you a sense of control again, like you're in control where when it's just credit cards and that type of thing uh, too much and, and not being used the right way, you feel like it's just out of control mm-hmm. and that's a real stress in life. And you just, you know, if you, you don't know where the money went, but when you're actually given the dollar over, then, uh, then you feel like you're in control again and, and uh, it helps in just having a positive direction as far as budgets go. And he really makes a good point in the booklet about how it does also help to spend every dollar on paper before you actually uh, spend any of the money in actuality. Because because if you have just all these different categories and there's a certain amount of money in each category, then you never feel guilty when you're spending. And there's a part there about the pocket money. Like you want to have a little bit of cash in your wallet in case something comes up. Uh, and And even that too, it's cash in your wallet. It's not a credit card or a debit card that you can always use and not really feel the pain on. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's a lot of it is dealing with money is is like dealing with a lot of things in life. There's a whole uh, mental approach to it. And it, it's uh, like the point about having a little bit of pocket money is good. I mean, if you're if you're so tight with everything that you can't spend an extra 20 bucks on something, you know, go out to eat or something you start to feel like, man, you know, I can't ever do anything. And it, and it gets to be sort of uh, negative. And uh, I've read that too about, say, diets or something, where if, if people are really like into a diet or something and it becomes so restrictive, then they, they naturally want to push back against it. Whereas, at least for some people, maybe it depends on personality type, but if they're a little more just like, I'm going to stay within this basic framework and eh, if I have a slice of pizza, I'm not going to lose my mind over it, but I'm going to go stay pretty much with the course it seems like over time a lot of people do better that way they're not so restrictive that you know they can't do anything and that allows them to i think uh, maybe stay the course long term yeah and perhaps that's why people might think that a budget is restrictive because perhaps they haven't set aside money for an entertainment budget or for pocket money if you if you if your entire budget is going toward bills and savings and you never have any money to do anything uh, somewhat enjoyable yeah that's going to feel really restrictive but if you do have a specific amount of money set aside for those more fun things 
or if even just things that come up that that you might want to be spontaneous and go out and do once in a while uh it's it is a lot there is a lot more freedom to that there's no guilt involved because you're not digging into money that should be set aside for savings or for paying off bills you're not getting yourself into debt because you have the cash right there and you can just spend that it's already allocated to that purpose so you don't feel guilt in spending it for that purpose yeah the points brought out here in this uh this free booklet on solving your money troubles uh, right along that same line that uh don't view the uh budging as restrictive it's practical it's a real way to ensure freedom from financial worry and as christ said about god's way of life uh, happy are we if we do it and so again if if it's being looked at as this too restrictive of a thing, it can be a problem, but it's not restrictive. It's actually it's actually the path to freedom. Mm. And that's sort of the way I think a lot of times people look at, say, God's law in general, that it's too restrictive, but it's actually the path to freedom and freedom from worry and all the, the problems that come from whether it be spending too much or whatever other activity that's being done that might be fun for a moment, but then there's a lot of regret over it. Yeah, I mean, if we just consider the fruits of a budget, it's a surefire way to dig out of debt a lot more quickly and efficiently. Uh, it's it's certainly uh, a way to make sure that we have our own safety net in place. We have our own emergency fund that can help us out if something goes wrong instead of what do a lot of people do? Turn to the government for help. And then you have to rely on other human beings and not have your own plan in place to, to help yourself out of those situations. You know, I think the biggest budget buster is for people, the Internet. Oh, internet yeah. shopping. Don't you think that's probably what it is? Yeah, definitely. Because it's one thing to physically get in your car and drive to the store to buy something. It's another thing to just peruse the internet and just click a button and have it show up at your door. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, probably a major reason for the credit card debt that we see. Probably is. I mean, that's that's probably why even the entertainment budget should be cash-based, unless you have like a monthly television bill that you would pay online. But other than that, if you already took cash out of the bank and that was how you're going to spend your entertainment budget. It's a lot harder to, uh, like you said, get in the car and actually go to a physical location and buy something that way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you can get anything you want online. And so in some ways that can be really great, but in other cases, I mean, you just have to control it and that's, Mm -hmm. that can be hard to, hard to do sometimes because, uh, you know, you uh, you stop at an online shopping site once, and you're going to have ten thousand emails, <laughs> give or take, over the course of the next several days, uh, from from different retailers. They're just always throwing something at you, and everyone's always having sale of the century. It's amazing. No one ever says eh, average prices today. It's always sale of the century. Yeah, and it's like those those dogs you take with you on a hunt. They 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 all of a sudden know exactly what you seem to be interested in, and they're just always on the alert and looking for it and and you just kind of have to uh avoid the temptation that's always popping up on the screen there's always ads that are tailored directly to what you've already searched for right there on the screen yeah so they talk sometimes too about uh, i've read a financial book where they talked about uh deep freezing your credit by literally putting your credit card in uh in water and freezing it in the freezer (laughs) to where if you really want to buy something with it you're going to have to chip it out of the, the ice, and uh, by the time you're done with it, maybe you won't want it, or maybe you really do want it if you're willing to chip through all that ice. I don't know. All kinds of different tricks that people try to play in, on, on themselves, I think, to, to kind of control themselves because it's hard when 
you're, you're offered credit left, right, and center, you know, and, and you can always pay for it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very hard to stay on budget, but budget's very important to uh, financial success and freedom. And so it's a goal, something to uh, try to establish, have a well-balanced budget, and try to live according to it. I mean, it's a challenge. And so some people do well on challenges, I guess, and that's uh, that's a good way to do it, set it up as a goal and say, okay, I'm going to try to have a budget. I'm going to try to stick to it for more than just a week. And uh, it's amazing how quickly things can change in a very positive way for your personal finances. Yeah, and even though if sometimes budgeting can be wrongfully viewed as restrictive, uh, if if people follow a budget, usually they realize they actually have more money to spend. They have more money to spend on the right things as long as they have the building blocks in place. They've already established their priorities. Then they don't feel guilty. They don't dip. They don't dip into money that should have been used on more important things for their entertainment. Uh, it's it's a much more enriching uh, peace of mind type spending. Yeah, great booklet. Uh, make sure you get it for free. Solve your money troubles. And it is at the uh, trumpet.com. You can check it out there. Make sure you listen this weekend for the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Key of David program. Also, you can watch it online at the trumpet.com. And uh, Trumpet Hour Week in Review coming up. Also, uh, watch Jerusalem over the weekend. So, a lot of uh, programming here on KPCG. That's uh, all the time we have for today on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for spending some time with us. And uh, make sure you stay tuned to KPCG for all the great programming. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.